And please come. Mayors and dignitaries will be here, and we're looking for a high time in the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 11, and when you get it, say amen. Amen. All right. Um, one, one of God's divine traits is order. God is a God of order. In Genesis 1, the Spirit of God moved in verse 2 across the chasm of wreck and ruin to bring back order. Order says that there is a system of organization which refutes confusion. So we know that God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of order. Chapter 3 of Genesis, confusion began. Chapter 11 of Genesis, the Tower of Babel took place. And the universe is orderly. And the units of scripture are orderly. And the unit within the church is orderly. 1 Corinthians 11, and we just finished 10 last week, um, deals with the disorders. Remember when we started this series, we said that the church at Corinth was disgraceful and full of divisions and had disorder and dysfunction. So Paul is writing back to this church to try to straighten out and rectify some of the things that were happening. And we get to this point of 1 Corinthians 11 where there's disorder um, with the subject of subordination, then there's disorder around the supper, um, uh, what we call communion, the Eucharist, and then there's disorder with spiritual gifts. Uh, 12, um, 12, 13, and 14 goes together, but we're in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and some of these disorders are divisive, dysfunctional, devilish, and Paul points to three problems of disorder. Now, I'm going to be teaching something much deeper than the text. I'm going to be teaching concepts of interpretation, uh, what we call hermeneutics, so forth, so on, because what tends to happen is the Word of God is the authority. Now, let me, let me tell you why I need to say that, because the Bible says, Paul says, that the time is coming, and it's already here, when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want it. They don't want the word. The word is not something, they, they want to use other systems of feelings and philosophy and people's belief. They don't want the word of God. And so one of the things that we established was we got to learn, Ephesians 4, to speak the truth in love. Remember that? That truth without love is brutality. Remember that? When we just talk about, well, it's in the Bible, it's truth but we have no love, it's just beating people up, right? You know what kind of husband you ought to be? Ephesians 5 says you ought to, that, well, ain't nobody, ain't nobody changing with that. That's a fight, ain't nobody changing with that. That's, that's beating people up with scripture, right? And then we reversed that and said, not only is truth without love brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. Isn't that right? That if I, if I just dwell on loving you with no boundaries and no, uh, no truth, 
That's just uh, hypocrisy. So one of the things that is evident in this chapter is that Paul wants to oppose and avert this confusion, this satanic division, this social injustice. And when we get to chapter 11, you're talking about, and this is why uh, I, I, I like my Bible teachers to some degree understanding the word. Because if not, you're going to give people the wrong impression, definition, and I'm not impressed with your commentaries because there are some commentaries I don't agree with. I just don't agree with them. I mean, they, they, they sound good, so you can't just go home open up a commentary, which is really man's opinion about a text, and then start teaching that, thinking, well, this is right. Well, truth has to be compared with other truth. Truth has to be tested and, and, and whatnot. So one of the things that we come to, and I'm going to be dealing with this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a disorder uh, in the congregation that's causing a divisiveness to God's design. It's a weakness in the worship. It's an attack on the authority of God's word. It's confusion in the company of believers. And, and, and uh, it's a wow and work of wickedness from the devil. And here in 1 Corinthians, amen, and we said there's 16 chapters, 16 problems, that the first problem that emerges would be women praying slash prophesying and it became a dysfunction. Now let me stop because I want to I I deal with this. Uh, we're living in a time where sexism, unisex, so forth is going. Um, you may not agree with all of the word of God, but uh, you and I have no right to denounce truth without carefully being um, taught and uh, carefully examining um, what the scriptures are saying here. Now, when we begin to look at this thing in this church, and let me put some P's up on the board for you so we can get a kind of get an understanding. God gives in his word a precept. Precept is the scripture. In every precept, there are principles. All right? And until you understand the principles you've got to then look for in the text the problems. And after you get the problems, then you put it all together and you get a proper interpretation. So, Sunday I'm preaching, I'm dealing with the three offices of prophet, priest, and king to Jesus Christ. And then I said, if any man desires the article, the office of a pastor, or the office of a deacon, let him be, the person says, if any man, 
It's in the masculinity in the Greek. It says, let him be the husband of one wife. Now, you say, well, I got a problem with that. Well, God bless you, but God has a rationale for everything in this word. And the problem with people who have not been saturated and taught truth and interpretation is that they keep stumbling over the precept. And when there's confusion about the precept, you got to move to the principle. And once you understand the principle, then you got to look at the contextual problems. And then, and then when you put it all together, you get a proper interpretation. Let me give you what I'm saying. Um, there, there's a principle in John 13 where Jesus, uh, after supper, puts on a towel and starts washing the disciples' feet. Washing feet is not part of the church. That's the precept. The precept is he's using a physical action to teach a spiritual principle. The principle is service. So you don't go around and say every church ought to be washing each other's feet. That, that was a precept that teaches a principle. Are y'all getting this? The principle is serving leadership. The principle is that we ought to serve one another. And he goes on to say, if I'm Lord and I'm watching your feet, then you need to wash one another's feet. So, so, so you don't stop at the precept, all right? You don't stop at the precept. You, you don't go walking in Fairmount Park tomorrow to find a fig tree and sit there trying to curse the tree. That was a precept to teach a principle. Are y'all getting me? The principle was that Israel, the nation, is represented by a fig tree, and he was hungry. He was looking for fruitfulness. He was looking for righteousness from the nation. And when he came close to the tree... The tree had leaves with no figs. So he cursed the tree. You're unprofitable. You're unfruitful. So you got to go back and do some study on the growth of fig trees. Because before leaves come out, figs come out. So if he's looking at leaves from a distance, he's already thinking that tree has figs. I'm hungry. When he gets up to the tree, here's the principle, he sees this false religiosity of leaves, but no fruit. So Jesus is teaching the principle that I'm looking at your life not for your religion or religiosity or how you dressed on Sunday. I'm looking for fruit. And, 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 and so... We cannot stop with the precept. There, there are a lot of other things in the word of God that are not mandated to us. I don't have to go back to Jerusalem three times a year and kill a lamb and bring it to the priest and let him sprinkle the blood. I'm through. Jesus answered all that at the cross. That's already been fulfilled. So we got to be careful with these precepts that we see in the word of God 
And um, we, we got to be careful to get to the principle and understand the problem that prevailed. Disciples came to Jesus and said, wait a minute, you, you know, you're speaking out, you know, now you're speaking on marriage, but Moses allowed us to write a bill of a divorce against our wives. Jesus said, well, Moses did that because of the hardness of your heart. You were totally out of the will of God. So let's dive into this text, and I will pause for questions. Look what it says. Now, and I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep, verse 2, the ordinances. There's only two ordinances in the church, baptism and communion. We'll get to that momentarily. Two ordinances, baptism and communion. And then he says, now watch this now. And, and by the way, we have a different philosophy, spiritual interpretation on communion than Catholicism. In, 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 in the Catholic Church, they believe that the wafer and the wine is the actual body and blood of Jesus. And if an altar boy drops that wafer, you just drop Jesus. That's called transub transubstantiation. We believe it's symbolic, right? And it is symbolic, so when we begin, we, we, we got a whole different insight and approach on, on uh, the communion table. Um, um, because of Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, in the, in the, in the 1500s, he nailed 95 theses on the door of a Catholic church that the just shall live by faith. Justification by faith. We only need to be justified by faith. And once he nailed that on the door, Catholics was trying to kill him because it destroyed their whole sense of priesthood. The reason we don't have a box up in here that you confess your sins to a, to a minister or a priest is because Jesus is our high priest. We don't need an earthly priest. Do we? And, and Reverend Jackson asked me for that part. I told him, we're not doing that here. <laughs> but but uh, we, we, don't need, we, do, we don't need a high priest. We got a great high priest. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive him and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And, 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 and so when you look at this text, Paul says in verses 3 to 16, the first problem was women prophesying. They flaunted their freedom in public meetings by refusing to be subjective and to cover their heads. Here we go. Now, subjection has nothing to do with equality. Men and women are equal in God's sight. Spiritually, you and your wife, you and your husband are equal in God's sight. But <clears throat> Jesus is equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. They all got the same attributes. But yet he subjected himself to the Father. Oh, yeah, now this is some deep theology I'm laying on. He humbled himself. He emptied out his rights. Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis passage, right? 
Jesus did not have to submit himself or subject himself to the authority of the Father, but he did so to pull off the Father's will. Right? So when God tells the woman, be subjective to your husband, it does not denote that they are not equals. God is giving this injunction so that, amen, God's order begins to work. Now hang in there with me. Hang in there with me. You ain't going to hear this on TV. So God says in verse 3, let me give you my chain of command. But I would have you know that the head of every man is who? Christ. He's dealing with headship. Headship. And the head of the woman is who? The man. Now, not any man. Your head is your husband. Right? Let, me, let, me, let me throw that out before somebody come here Sunday and say, I'm your head. And y'all got two different addresses. No, you you and so when a young lady says, well, pastor, I'm not married, who's my covering? Who's my head? Your pastor. I'm your spiritual leader. So when we start looking at these scriptures, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, here's, here's, here's the precept, and here's the problem. Every man praying or prophesying. Now, the word prophesying does not mean teach. I mean preaching. The word prophesying, because the canon, the Bible was not complete in the first century. God was given messages as they were on the fly. Continual revelation. That's prophesying. And that was the confusion around this whole matter of tongues when he says, God is not a God of confusion. I would rather you, proph I, I, I would rather you preach, prophesy in like English than to get caught up in the statics. Because the whole objective is to be understood. Let me stop. Try and take this slow. The problem in the church of Corinth was that women in the church were not up under the authority of the spiritual leaders. They were not subjected to spiritual headship. And the priestesses from the temple who were prostitutes either shaved their, head, their hair off or they was bald-headed or whatnot, and it was indicative of prostitutes. So Paul says, when you come into the church, put on a head covering so that you are not reflecting what everybody in the city knows it to be. In other words, it's not a universal law. It's not a universal law. It's a, God is not telling all women to wear hats and wear this. It's not universal. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was specifically for those people in the church at Corinth during the first century. That, that was a problem because people was getting confused. And I even believe when Jesus met that woman at the well, by the time she came out to the well and what she was wearing, Jesus knew she was an immoral woman. That's why he said, go call your husband. This, this stuff is deep. So, as pastor, you can't get in the pulpit and say the Bible says that every woman got to wear a hat to church. That's not what the text is saying. And yet, 
our, our, our mothers and grandmothers wore hats because they didn't understand the doctrine, but they was trying to be reverent to God. Are y'all getting this? And I'm, 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 I'm taking it slow because we just carve up scripture and mess it up. Um, look what he says. Hang in there. He's, he gives the rank, the protocol, verse 3. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered. So the, the, the same injunction applies to men. You are not allowed to have a hat on when you're preaching. Like Roman priests. You're not allowed to wear a hat because it dishonors me. I'm your head. Y'all ain't getting this. This is me. So for a man to stand in the pulpit with a hat on and preach, it's dishonoring God. Now, 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 does, does that mean everybody wears a hat? Is dishonoring God? No. It's a problem in this particular church. Now check this out. Verse 5. But every woman that prayer for prophesieth, that's teaching, praying with her, what? With her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. Now who's her head? Her husband uh, dishonoreth her head. Now, now, isn't it interesting? They didn't say everybody come to church. They said if you prophesying or preaching, teaching, and you and you're uncovered. Now, don't worry. I don't. I don't have this rule in St. Matthew's for the sisters that's teaching and the sisters up here and when we sharing our gifts. I don't ask you to wear no hair. You know, I may play with you. Uh, <clears throat> are you praying this morning? Yes, Pastor. Where's your head covering? Honey? But no, it, that's, that's, that's not what God is saying. So we got to be careful not to inject stuff into this word that's not there. There's a problem in this particular church, the church at Corinth. Now, now let, me, let me keep going because I got you quiet. That's good stuff. It says... For that is even all one as if she were shaven. The word shaven means hair cut completely off and like the prostitutes from the temple and the word shorn means cut short. Look at verse 6. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if, she, if, it's, if it's a shameful woman to be shorn or shaven, two different Greek words, let her be what? Covered. Now, now, he's not talking when you get out your car and come to church. He, he keeps saying prophesying. He keeps saying prophesying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here we go. Now, when I went to Philadelphia College of Bible back in 79, full time, um, there was one prop up there that said, uh, uh, he was a pastor too. He said, well, I teach in my church that all the women in my congregation got to wear hats to church. He taught that to the class, and I, I disagree with him. I said, that's not what the text is saying. That's not what the text is saying. Um, that's your conviction. That's not what the text is saying. Um, we we got to be careful not to take a precept and make it a principle. Why, why, why is that not true? Because later on, 
God's going to tell a woman, your hair is your covering. Your hair is your glory. What is it, estrogen? Your, your hair grows further than mine, right? Whatever. A woman's hair is naturally longer than man. Right? Am I right? Dang, y'all scaring me. Now, look at, look, at, look at verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Uh-oh! I want y'all to go to Sherman's marriage class because y'all got problems. <laughs> y'all, y'all, got, y'all got real problems, man. For... for <laughs> Look, look what it says. For the man is not of the woman. God didn't take a rib out of the man. I mean, God didn't take a rib out of the woman to make the man. God took a rib out of the man to make a woman. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. All right. This has nothing to do with sexism, gender. This is spiritual stuff here, and, I, I'm, and it's all going to come together in a minute. Are y'all with me? I know it's hot. Verse 10, for this cause ought the woman to have power, a covering, on her head because of the angels. Now, now Paul is getting interesting. Paul is saying, okay, let me give you some reasons why you got to have a covering. First of all, angels are watching They're looking at your submission and subjection. Secondly, nature says that women have long hair, men have short hair. All right, yeah, I know about Samson. He got got a haircut in the wrong barbershop, but I I understand. Um, Interesting. He uses creation. He uses angels. He uses this whole matter of nature. And, and, and Paul is driving home an argument again. Driving home an argument. Look what he says in verse 12. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things are of God. Judging yourselves, is, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does not even nature, here's the nature illustration, uh, itself teach you, verse 14, that if a man have long hair, it is what? Shame. All right, stop. You know, we went through the 60s, the hippie movement, and the Beatles, and all that stuff. You know. um, this does not mean that every man ought to wear short hair all the time. He's not, again, it's, it's, it's relevant to nature. You got to keep stuff in context. You got to keep stuff in context. Nature, creation, so forth, so on. But look what he says in verse 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that a man have long hair, it is a shame to him. But if a woman have long hair, it is what? A glory to her. For her hair is given her for a what? A covering. But if, if, any man, let me get this page right. If any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. In other words, rather than break out in a fight over this, you guys keep praying and 
so forth, so on. So in this context, um, the problem is, and, and, and this is why I'm, I'm taking my time, the problem is you got women in the church that came out of the prostitute temple with a look and an insubordination to their husbands that represented the world. So Paul is saying, let me, let me, let me clear all this up. We don't do this now. This is disorderly for the house of God. It's disorderly for the house of God. Uh, the problem is, and I, I, I want to drive this home. When you come into a precept that has a problematic situation in a certain context, you cannot walk away with the problem and the precept and make it a law. Are, are y'all understand what I'm saying? There, there is a principle behind all this. And the principle is that God wants headship the way he ordained it. So when you get to 1 Timothy 3, if a man desires to be a pastor, episcopos, appointment, presbyter, if a man desires, likewise, if a man desires to be a deacon. So I don't fool with that. I am not beating churches over the head. I ain't beating people over the head. Just don't ask me my opinion. Just walk past me and say, good morning, pastor. And we fine. Because it does nothing for me. I'm just giving you the word. I'm giving you the word. I'm giving you the word. I'm giving you the word. Timothy says the reason some of this is because the woman was deceived, not the man. You better believe the woman was reaching for something she should have never reached for. That's how Satan got her. So God, 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 and, and when you go back to Genesis, God tells the woman, now your place is to your husband. That, what does that mean? Well, we're looking at the problem and the precept, but we got to pay attention to the principle. Are you getting me what I'm saying about the principle? Jesus tells a parable, earthly sword with heavenly meaning. He tells a parable. Uh, there was a man that had two sons. It's a story. There's no names in the parable. You don't know the name of the father or the name of the son or the name of the other son. A man had two sons and, 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 and one came to him and said, give me, the younger one said, give me what belongs to me. And he went out and wasted it. The other one stayed home. It's a story. So Jesus uses a story to teach a precept. And the precept has principles in it. That all of us ought to be like the Father, who represents God. Merciful, patience, long-suffering, putting up with people's mess, waiting on those that are messed up. And once people repent, you got to let them off the hook. Who the heck are you to keep a chain around somebody when they say they're sorry? I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, just like Jesus stood up for Stephen, when you do that, I'm sure Jesus standing up looking at you. Like, what's wrong with them? Did I offend you? Yes, you did. Well, I'm sorry. Let me pray with you. That will not happen again. I'm sorry. It's over. Who are you to go home, get on the phone, who are you to say, who are you to say, they don't mean it? Excuse me, we're talking about principles. 
principles. And, and, and so we get our proper interpretation when we put all these facets together in a gray area of text, when we don't fully understand what's going on. Then you got to compare scripture with scripture. Where else in the word of God did God have requirement of people all through? Nadab and Abihu were sons of Aaron, priests, and God killed them because they offered up strange fires. He gave them a prescription for offering up, you know, for keeping the fire in the tabernacle burning, the incense. They got drunk and went in there, and God called it a strange fire. God killed them right on the spot because they, they had a precept that had principles connected to it. They ignored them. So, so, so in, the, in this text, in this text, if you're not a careful Bible student, you'll get up and preach this on Sunday and mess people up. I ain't going to that church. I don't have no hat. I, I, you know, I, I shaved my head 30 years ago. I, you know, I ain't buying no wig. I'm, you know, my budget won't allow that. Yeah. Well, well, you ain't, you know, and, and we got to be careful. Lord have mercy. All right, here we go. Any questions on this text? Yes, sir. Verse 10, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Um, angels are watching the church. And that's in Ephesians 3, 2. Angels are watching the church. And Peter says that these angels are paying close attention and scrutinizing our um, obedience and God's grace. And in this context, they're watching the women for subjection. The angels. They know what's going on on earth. I don't know if they're leaning over the gates or what, but they know what's going on. In fact, they're down here. That's why Paul, that, that's why the writer to the Hebrews says, be careful that when you entertain strangers, you might be entertaining angels unaware. So the fact of the matter is, and that's, and that's a great question, it, it has to do with subjection. Now let me move on, because the second facet, verse 17, is the Lord's Supper. Now in this, and this is another disorder, that I declare unto you, I praise you. In fact, it's, it's, you know, when I came here in 1987, uh, no kids, you know, we, I'm working 40 hours a week in the government, I'm pastoring, and on a Sunday morning, it was packed out. Some lady walked up to Sister Gordon and said, where's your hat? And she was sitting there, and I'm fuming, right? I'm saying, I can see where this is going. It was old mother of the church who had wore hats all her life. I didn't get upset with her because I understood traditionally where that was coming from. My grandmother wore hats. My mother wore hats. That's just the way they were down south. You go in church down south, everybody got hats on. They didn't play that, Right? When the thunder and lightning, everybody shut up and listened to God. <laughs> Televisions, radios went off. Those are just traditions of reverence that people have for God. I grew up with them blue laws in Pennsylvania. Nothing was open on Sunday. Nothing was open on Sunday. The only thing around Easter that we had was the Penny Arcade on Market Street. You go take one of the 25-cent pictures. 
That was it. No, everything was closed. There were, there were no malls. No. Everything, you know, the movies may have been open, the Fox, you know, but dog, everything was closed. So your people started up speakeasies. The bars were closed. So we went around Derek's house to get a drink. You know, you know pe pe people had a... Uh, I, I tried to make y'all laugh. It's, it's a... Derek can take it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, those, those, those blue laws were something, man. Stores were closed. Nothing on Market Street was open. Nothing on Chestnut Street. Ain't no use going near Center City. Everything's closed. And everybody accepted that. Sunday, everything... What can I do on Sunday? Go to church. That's all there was to do. And maybe go to a park or something. That's it. Everything's closed. All right. Nobody was, uh, uh, nobody was uh, racing up and down the parkway for cancer. And, yeah, they weren't having walkathons. And uh, they ain't play that. And, and I'm not against that. I'm just telling you how it was. It was nothing, nothing was open. Hmm. All right. Praise the Lord. And after you smelled the fried chicken, church went open. <laughs> they closed the church down, Doc. All right. Here we go. Um, looking at these verses, now we've, now we've gone through the verses. What are some of your thoughts as I was going through this. Be honest. What is some, yes? Dressing up on Sundays. Okay. Back in the 50s, we had to. Yeah. They ain't had no dress down Sunday. <laughs> in the 50s, you dressed up. Yeah, but, but that's good. Who else? What were you thinking as I was going through these, these verses? Be honest. Yes. Men had long hair? And what are you saying? Men had what? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair, babe. I use ultrawave. And when I got my froze sulfur egg, sulfur egg would sting your scalp, but your hair would grow. I had a fro like that. And all of it's gone now. All right, um, anybody else want to share? Yes. So what do you expect from your grandma and the people that have the, the funny stuff, the people that really stuff on their hair color? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that I see that sometimes uh, as we debate and deal with people being who they are. Being who they are, you don't bother them. Most of, mo most of the members here over 60 and over 70, they wear hats every Sunday. And when I say we're dressed down, they still wear hats. And they wear, and, and I don't mess with them because that's all they know. And you respect that. You understand? They ain't coming here with no Timberlands. In fact, you got paint on your shirt. This is church. <laughs> all right, let's move on. So. And I'm, and I'm, I'm going to do this quickly. Verse 17 starts the communion. Now in this I declare, there's another disorder. 
when you come together in the church, verse 18, I hear there are some what? Divisions among you, and I probably believe it, for there must also be heresies among you uh, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And I had a lady come to me Sunday, older lady, she said, can I ask you a question? She said, have you done communion like this all the time since you've been here 29 years? I said, no. I said, cross the street, we come back in the evening. That's why it's called supper. And we had a complete separate service called communion. Preach the word, we have communion. We had a table, we had communion. And the deacons would serve physically. There was no baskets on the floor. They serve each individual. That's when the church was in the hundreds, we could do that. When the church got in the thousands, growth necessitates problems. We couldn't go up and down the balcony and overflow, serving every individual with plates. So un understand, you know, and I understand. I said, okay, no, we, we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't do that. Now, I, I grew up in a Methodist church. And the Methodist church, you went to the altar and get on your knees. You were standing up here on your knees, and the pastor would come, each individual, to serve communion. He had, his, he had his sisters behind him. And if the pastor put his hand on your shoulder, that meant you couldn't take communion. That means he knew something about you that was ungodly. Now, here you are up there. 75 people, and he goes, <laughs> so everybody in the church said, oh, what'd she do? Well, if I did this day, i get cussed out. Who do you think you are? And then, and then across the street, and I, and I, and I told you this, I'm, I'm taking my time with this because I want to differentiate tradition from truth. St. Matthew's had a rule, a running law, that if a girl got pregnant out of wedlock, she had to come on a Wednesday night to a packed church and stand in front of the church and apologize for being pregnant out of wedlock. So I came in here and they said, Pastor, we got a young girl, she's 17, she's pregnant. We've already briefed her. And I, I sat here as pastor and the girl came up front and I mean, she bawled. She said, I'm so sorry. I made a mistake. She was crying. And once she said, I'm sorry, the mother of the church said, you're forgiven. Real cold. You're forgiven. And the poor girl just wiping tears sat down. So we did this like two or three times. And I said, now, wait a minute. Some of these old guys here are laying up. <laughs> and we ain't getting to them. And the reason some of these young girls ain't pregnant is because they popping pills. And we ain't get to them either. So I went to the deacons and said, this ain't biblical, doc. Why are we bringing these young girls up here to humiliate themselves in front of people? That ain't love. That's judgment. And if God, here it is, should mark iniquities, who could stand? So if the Spirit of God said, Raymond Maurice Gordon, yes, sir. Have you ever sinned every day? <laughs> I stopped doing it. I told things we ain't doing that no more. That ain't biblical. And we stopped doing it. 
but that was a standing rule in church. I'm talking about down here before I got here. My God. Hmm. That was brutality, wasn't it? She had to tell you she was sorry. She had to tell you that she fell. She had to tell you that she, she blew it, that, Lord, I'm sorry. She, when she got finished, I said, man, we might as well form a line and go right on up 322 to, to Atlantic City because that's how long the line will be. All right. Then I had people in church, who, look, who do you think he is? <laughs> We've been doing this for years. Okay. Yeah, God bless you. Look at this. When you come together, verse 20, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating everyone um, taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. So the divisions were you had rich people coming there who, who was eating filet mignon, and poor people couldn't get a crumb. For in eating everyone taketh before his other. Verse 22, what? Have you not houses to eat and drink in or despise the church of God? Now, this is a problem. Verse 23, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, and, and said, take, eat, this is my body. Verse 24, after the same man, he took a cup. And then he says, for as often as you do this, eat this bread, drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he comes back. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this cup unworthily is an adverb. It's not an adjective. None of us are worthy. Unworthily means doing it in the wrong manner. Are y'all getting me? He will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So Paul gives exhortation on this Eucharist, this, this, this communion, and, and he keeps using the word in verse 29, unworthily, adverb, in the wrong manner. No discernment, you're just flippingly putting stuff in your mouth. And this is a holy, holy meal. And, 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 and so Paul dealt with the disorder of the supper. First he dealt with the disorder of the subjection. Then he dealt with the disorder of the um, supper. Are y'all getting that? Because the church is, um, this, this particular church is full of disorder, full of um, disorder. And what causes a church to be full of disorder is that you got people full of hell that brings that hell in the church. And, 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 and we ought to have a, we ought to have a, um, a peace, uh, a state of peace, and you know I'm a, I'm major on order. I pulled up 6.30 Sunday and sat in my car for 10 minutes, angry, because they didn't cut our grass, man. And they supposed to cut it on a Friday, and I mean, the grass looked terrible. Now, you ain't going to feel like, well, why are you getting upset over grass? Because you ain't the pastor, I, you know. When I get your tithes, I'm trying to do the right thing. Amen. You got to cut grass on a Friday and Saturday. People are coming here. Um, so my point is that when we look at these precepts, these precepts um, in the Word of God, we got to pull out the principles. What are the principles? When he says, 
husbands agape or your wives as Christ agape the church, the reason we get that exhortation from Ephesians 5 is because the hardest thing for men to do is to love their wives. And the hardest thing for women to do is to respect their husbands. I tell Sister G, even Abraham, even Sarah called Abraham Lord. I ain't been called Lord in I don't know how long. I've been called everything else. <laughs> I say, Diane, she should say, yes, Lord. But anyway, all right, real quick, and we're going to pick back up. We're going to read. We got five minutes. Chapter 12 is a disorder around spiritual gifts. Now, we believe there's 19 gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, you get at least one gift. The gifts are broken down to three categories, speaking gifts, serving gifts, sign gifts. We do not believe that sign gifts are still in effect. Now, Church of God in Christ, Pentecostal, and a whole bunch of others still believe that. We don't, we don't hold to that. And I'm glad y'all getting quiet so I can explain. You are not going to get a beach chair and go down Atlantic City to a graveyard or to the beach and call back something from the dead. You can spit. You can throw up. You can sit up there and chant, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You can do all that. Ain't nobody dead getting up. Because God chooses not to deal like that anymore. See, some people think, well, no, no, I don't, I got the faith. Your faith don't do anything. God's will does it. God is sovereign. God ain't healing everybody. God ain't helping everybody. See, we, we, we've been taught wrong, and then we start looking at those that are right the wrong way. Why do I need you bringing out in the tongue, and I'm preaching in English? Yeah, you know, you got to make it roll. And I'm up here preaching. I'm, I'm pouring my heart out. Now, the Bible says you're out of order because you ain't got an interpreter. For, you don't even know what you're saying. So I, I was preaching here for years. I had, I had an old lady here. I didn't bother. She sat right on the second or third row. She would sit here and she'd go, I'd be preaching. She'd and you know, the deacons came to me and said, Pastor, I said, leave her alone. She ain't, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. We, we all right. Leave her alone. Because my objective is to edify the flock, glorify Jesus. Right? And if I give credence to that, now the masses are not getting the word. Oh, you all understand what I'm saying? And, and I don't beat people over the head because they believe in tongues. I'm telling you now, the word tongue is glossolalia. It means language. And, and uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, tongues shall cease. Miracles shall be done away with. He's talking about the finishing of the revelation of Scripture. And when Paul says, when I was a child, when I was a technon, child, 
I thought as a child. That's in the context of spiritual gifts. What Paul is saying is, it's childish play. Baptisms and tongues are childish play. What's mature is getting people saved. Snatching them out of hell. So, you know, we, we are, you know, and, and listen, I'm fine when people don't agree with me. I'm fine. I'm secure within myself. I know what I believe. I know what this church believes. And, and the whole thing is, it does not make them wrong, me right, me wrong, them right. It's just how you are taught these scriptures. So Paul says, and I got one more minute. Now concerning spiritual gifts, and, and, and the word spiritual is the Greek word, um, not, not charis. Charis is gifts, but spiritual is, uh, I just want to tip my tongue. I'll get it. Uh, I would not have you to be ignorant. And so what Paul is getting ready to lay out is the whole matter of how to use gifts. We use them in love. Speaking gifts is teaching and exhortation, the word of wisdom, which is counseling. That's the word of wisdom is counseling. If you're counseling, if you're a counselor, you have the word of wisdom. And we'll, and we'll kind of, you know, navigate through some of these things. But here, here's, here's the key. And this key is easy. At the end of the day, all that matters is your love for God and your love for one another. Here's what Jesus said. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And whatever I do for you, it ought to be out of love. Having your best interest at heart. Are y'all getting this? I ought to have a love for God and love for his people. And then God said, I'm going to bless you. Because you're using the right mechanisms to reach my people. Now, if I'm backbiting and gossiping and tearing you down and character assassination, it's only a matter of time before God pull you down. That is not of God. What's of God is love. So we got to learn how to love people in spite of them. That's the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? I don't care what you do, we love you. I don't care where you've been, we love you. I don't care what you're going through, we love you. We love you anyway. We love you. We love you. We love you. That's the will of God. Love not the world, that system, nor the things that are in the world, but you have to love one another. Let's stay on our feet tonight. Praise Jesus. All right. If there's somebody here needs to be saved, you want to give your life to Christ, raise your hand. Is there one? You want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to uh, join a church? We have five, eight o'clock Sunday. I was really surprised. I praise God. Let's look to the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us to differentiate precept, principle, and, oh God, uh, problems in the context. Uh, so we'll have a... Uh, a good final um, proposal and revelation of your word. And God, uh, help us to interpret your word properly, not to beat people over the head in love, but to love them in spite of themselves, that Jesus can use us as instruments of your love and affection. Bless every house and home and child here and grandchild. Bless our church. Bless our mentoring 
that's coming up this Saturday, Lord. We need you to bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Turn your neighbor and say, neighbor, what's that on your head? All right, God bless you.